In this country, at a time like this, when we look around the world, we can reflect on the greatness of our democracy. I am humbled by this victory and I'm honoured to be given the opportunity to serve as the 31st Prime Minister of Australia. The dust is settling and Australians have had their first taste of their new look government after Anthony Albanese and Labor were swept into power following the 2022 Australian general election. With any new government comes questions around policy and the implications for the budget, the economy and investment markets. In today's episode of Oliver's Insights, AMP's Chief Economist Dr Shane Oliver examines the key economic challenges that will shape the debate in the 47th Parliament of Australia. So what does a new government mean for investors? Stay tuned to hear more from our resident expert. Now before I hand over to Shane, a quick reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what is right for you. Any general tax information provided is intended as a guide only. With little time to waste, Shane, over to you. Thanks, Adam, and good day, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about the election, which just occurred in the last few days, and has sent a change of government in Australia. This was a very different election to that in 2019. Labor Party did not go with a new radical bunch of policies. Um, in fact, their policies were very similar to the coalitions at a macroeconomic point of view. Um, but there was a lot of interest because of the Teal candidates um, playing off against Liberals. And of course, as we all know, the Teals managed to get a big chunk of the seats off the Liberals. And there was also a big swing from the Liberals to Labor. And of course, the Greens also benefited. So what is the impact of all of this going to be on the share market, on investment markets generally? Um, yes, there wasn't a big difference in terms of macroeconomic policies, but there are some differences, which I will go through what that means for the economy, the budget and investment markets. So if you look at the policies proposed by Labor, they're proposing faster climate action with a 43% cut in emissions below 2005 levels by 2030 versus the coalition's proposal to cut emissions by 26 to 28%. Now that number, that 43% number could be increased given that uh, you've got to bear in mind here that uh, Labor will still have to pass things through the Senate even if they get full control of the lower house, which looks likely. Um, if they don't, then of course they can rely on the Teals or the Greens. Um, but even if they get to govern in their own right in the lower house, they've still got to pass things through the Senate and that probably requires Green support. Um, and so it's quite possible that in negotiations with the Greens and the Teals, that, that number gets increased maybe to 50% or something like that. That uh, extra action on climate change does include $20 billion in electricity infrastructure, a plan to boost renewables to 82% of electricity generation by 2030, extra spending on aged care, Medicare, childcare, money for manufacturing to encourage more manufacturing in Australia, um, some housing support policies, as always with Australian governments, unfortunately, all the, a lot of the emphasis is on the demand side with um, 10,000 first-time buyers getting access to a help-to-buy scheme where the government could take up to 40% equity in the purchase of a new home. But there's also more money uh, or more spending on the supply of new homes with a proposal for 30,000 extra social homes over the next five years and the setting up of a national housing supply and affordability council. So all those things are good news <clears throat> on the supply side at least, not just demand side policy. So that's good news. Labor has also committed to encouraging the work, Fair Work Commission 
to possibly raising the minimum wage by 5.1%. Bit of debate as to who that will apply to. Normally that would apply to 2.6 million workers on awards, but uh, PM Anthony Albanese has in the past suggested it may only apply to about 180,000 workers who are on the minimum wage. So very different numbers depending on how that plays out. Um, Labor has committed to make gender pay equity an objective in the Fair Work Act. Overall, Labor, as I mentioned earlier, did not come to this election with big radical proposals, certainly not on tax, um, but they have indicated they won't necessarily commit to the 23.9% coalition cap on the tax to GDP share, and one gets the impression they would probably, if uh, the quality is there, allow higher spending and higher taxes than the coalition might have um, advocated or allowed although there's not a lot in it. Don't forget spending has increased to record levels under the coalition. We're also going to see uh, full implementation of the Uluru Statement from the Heart, uh, or that at least is what the government is committed to, which I think is a good thing. So what's the impact on the budget deficit? Don't forget the government is already uh, suggesting we've got 10 years of budget deficits ahead of us. Yes, it's declining, and it's probably going to decline faster than they predicted because most recent data on the budget deficit shows a more rapid improvement than was projected back in March. Now, Labor policies on costings they released prior to the election, a few days prior, indicated a net addition to the budget deficit of $7.4 billion over the next four years, which is about $1.85 billion a year. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, but relative to the size of the economy, it's only 0.1% of GDP or our national income. So there's a not, a, not a lot in it. There's not a lot of difference between the fiscal policy Labor is proposing and that of the coalition. Now, there's going to be a few challenges there, though, because we are facing a world of higher inflation, higher interest rates, and obviously that puts pressure to reduce the budget deficit in order to take pressure off inflation and interest rates. So there may be more pressure to get the budget deficit down. So that's probably going to be something to watch in the period ahead, even though the budget numbers given the, the first update's probably going to be in June, I think, from the new treasurer, Jim Chalmers. Uh, he may also indicate that those numbers initially look a lot better than uh, was projected back in March because of what I was referring to earlier with the strength in the economy and the strength in commodity prices, which is good news. Um, but he may be under further pressure to get the deficit down faster. So that will be one to watch going forward. I, I would argue the environment we've, we've entered is not as bad as it was in the 1970s where obviously we had big problems on the wage inflation spiral front. Uh, and I wouldn't necessarily blame the workers for that. I think it was a whole bunch of things driving that pickup in inflation back then. Um, but then we got locked into a wage price spiral, which made it harder to get back down and ultimately was fixed up by Labor under Hawke and Keating in the early 1980s. But one of the messages from that period was that you'd really need to get inflation expectations under control fairly quickly, otherwise you can find those inflation numbers get locked in at a higher number. So I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on the government and the Reserve Bank to get inflation back under control. You could almost argue that the environment that uh, Labor has inherited today as the new government is almost as fraught as that seen in the 1970s, although not quite as bad as that. So that's going to present a bit of a challenge and obviously pressure to get the budget deficit down pressure to get government borrowing down, whether that borrowing occurs on budget or off budget in the form of the funds that the government is seeking to raise to help things like manufacturing and housing. So that's going to be a big challenge going forward. I think one of the other big challenges, of course, is getting productivity up. The budget numbers 
in the medium term assume productivity growth of 1.5% per annum. That seems to be the standard assumption in budget numbers. That has been the long-term average thereabouts. In recent times, we've struggled to meet that, and that's because of a lack of productivity-enhancing reforms in recent years. We saw a lot of activity on this front in the Hawke-Keating years in Howard and Costello, but in recent times, that's fallen by the wayside. So I suspect we're going to see, need to see more. Yes, labour policies to boost childcare and use lower-cost sustainable energy, I think, will help boost productivity. But you could argue that we still need more effort in terms of reforming the tax system, reforming the industrial relations system, getting the education system firing better and also more competition reforms. Without those things, um, I think we may struggle to meet that 1.5% productivity growth assumption, which of course would be, uh, the implication of that would be um, lower growth in living standards in the years ahead. So that's going to be an ongoing problem and an ongoing area of focus, I think. Um, in Australia and a challenge for the government. The other big challenge, I think, is housing affordability. We all know the story there. Housing affordability has deteriorated dra dramatically over the last 20 years. Yes, low interest rates have enabled people to pay more, take on more debt, that's a big factor. But the absence of supply is the main reason we have far more expensive housing relative to our wages than people do in other countries which have similar low interest rates. So you can't just blame low interest rates. I think the absence of supply has been the big, big factor. Um, yes, I was a little bit disappointed to see some of the demand side measures that Labor and indeed the Coalition proposed. They just tend to push up prices. They might sound attractive initially, but ultimately they don't help. But I was also pleased to see Labor have a bit more on the supply side. The 30,000 social homes and the setup of the National Housing Supply and Affordability Council all could help. But I think you probably need 30,000 social homes every year to really get on top of this problem. So that's a, an ongoing challenge. I think in the short term, though, the reality is that none of this will impact the fact that house prices, or my view, that house prices are likely to fall further over the next uh, 18 months. And we're looking for a top to bottom fall of around 10 to 15 percent. And I note that Sydney and Melbourne are already starting to fall more sharply as a result of higher interest rates and poor affordability. So that's the cyclical reality we face, lower house prices, which for some would actually be seen as a good thing. For many, in fact, I suggest, although it may have a negative wealth effect and ultimately take some pressure off the Reserve Bank, but I think that story has a way to go yet. Just in terms of what is the share market reaction likely to be, just looking at history, there is a tendency for shares to sort of track sideways in the run-up to elections and then have a bit of a relief rally once it's out of the way. Um, to put some numbers on that, all the elections since 1983, the average return on the share market in the eight weeks prior to the election has been 1.5%. In the three months after the election, the average return has been 4.5%. So there is some support for this idea of a, a relief rally. Um, I should also point out that um, in the post-World War II period, shares have performed better under coalition governments with an average gain of 12.9% versus an average gain under Labor of 10%. I wouldn't get too carried away with that because the strongest period was actually under Hawke and Keating, a Labor government, and you could argue that the Whitlam and Gillard Rudd years were hampered by severe global bear markets, i.e. issues which were partly beyond their control. So I wouldn't read too much into that. Um, but where does that leave us today? I think the absence of major difference in terms of macro policies and budget policies suggest there's not much in it. And that's why I don't think we'll see a significant impact on the share market either way from the fact that Labor has won. Um, and nor do I see a significant impact on 
the bond yields or on the Australian dollar. Obviously, we could see some volatility, but the main driver of those things will be what happens globally. Obviously, concerns about uh, lockdowns in China and particularly globally, worries about inflation, interest rates and recession main, remain the main drivers simply because we didn't really see a radical difference in new policies between the new Labor government and the government replaced in the coalition. Industry sectors to benefit, I think, will include clean energy and all companies associated with that, or most of them anyway, health sector, education, home builders, and potentially manufacturing, whereas heavy carbon emitters may lose out to some degree, particularly if the um, uh, decarbonisation objective is ramped up, as it may well be. So there's a couple of risks here that I was giving a case where Labor got to govern in its own right, which now looks likely. Obviously, there is a risk if it turns out not to be the case. But I would point out that the Teals, the independents who did so well in this election, do share similar policies with Labor. There could be some tweaks there, but I think it's quite likely that, they should, that Labor, if it doesn't get to govern in its own right, will be able to get support from those Teals. Um, time will tell on that one, but it looks at present as if Labor will be able to govern in their own right. I guess, uh, does this have any implications for our economic forecasts? Simple answer is no, it doesn't. There was not enough in it to, to radically change our forecasts and we haven't made any changes at all. We still see growth of around three, three and a half, four percent through the next year or through this year. Inflation will head up to around 6% by the end of this year and interest rates are still on the rise. We still see the Reserve Bank hiking rates again at its next meeting in June, probably by around 0.4%, although they may just opt for 0.25%, and increasing the cash rate to around 1.5% to 2% by year end. Now, of course, if house prices continue to, to weaken or fall, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne, as they have been, then that increase in the cash rate could be at the lower end of that range. Just finally, just a concluding comment. Obviously, there's going to be lots of analysis uh, in the aftermath of this election, particularly in terms of the damage done to the Liberal Party which has sent a lot of its moderates kicked out of parliament, um, much as there was after the 2019 election, where uh, Labor lost again, and of course it regrouped and went back to the centre under Anthony Albanese. So how do I see this? My interpretation is that just as the 2019 election was a rejection of more left-wing tax and spend policies, um, this election, was a rejection of more right-wing conservative views on things like climate, gender equity, health and integrity. In support for what one of the new Teal independents in the House of Representatives, in fact my new local member, has described as the sensible centre. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. In fact, I think it's a good thing that uh, we migrate back to the centre. Australians seem to be good at rejecting extremes on either side, not all Australians, but generally speaking, um, our elections reject extremes much as way back in 1993, when a more right-wing um, economic set of policies were rejected in favour of the centre under Paul Keating versus uh, John Houston at the time. So that doesn't particularly concern me. In fact, I think it's probably a healthy thing that uh, the tendency in Australian politics is towards what uh, might be regarded and by my new Teal representative is regarded as the sensible centre you know, policy making in Australia. So I might leave it there. I hope that was of some value. All the best. Adios. Until we meet again. Thank you. Dr Shane Oliver there taking a look at what could lay ahead with our new federal government. Now to stay up to date on all of the latest from Dr Oliver and the Simplifying Investing series more broadly, subscribe to the podcast series on your favourite streaming platform. 
We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, a quick reminder, all topics discussed today are general in nature and haven't taken your personal circumstances into account. That's why it's important that you seek out tailored financial advice that is relevant to your personal circumstances before making any important financial decisions.